Take out your Bible, turn over to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, I encourage you to take out the outline this morning as well. So we continue our study in 1 John. Today we're going to talk about the test of true doctrine. I'm sorry, I want you to instead turn to a different place. Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Got ahead of myself, 2 Timothy 4. For our scripture reading, Second Timothy chapter 4, Paul writing his farewell address in this chapter, leaving some instructions for young Timothy as uh, Paul faced beheading a short time after he wrote this. It says in 2 Timothy 4, I charge you in the presence of God. And of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths." As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill, fulfill your ministry. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word today and the power that comes with it. And Lord, we just ask now that you will illumine our hearts and our minds through your Holy Spirit to understand it. Lord, you know the needs that are in this room. If there's anybody that needs to come to faith in Christ, that they may do that today as the gospel is shared in a few moments. Lord, you know all of our hearts as believers, and as we come in, we pray you'll use the word to meet those needs as well. So we commit this time into your hands, and we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Eureka. Eureka is a Greek word meaning I have found it. And in 1848, James Marshall made it out to California, and he was the first one to strike gold. And then shortly thereafter, the 49ers all came within that next year, and uh, they began to dig through rock quarries and riverbeds looking for gold. The problem was that they had to uh, separate what was fool's gold from real gold. And so they had some criteria Pretty soon, the seasoned veterans could spot real gold very quickly to separate that. Some would take a a rock and they would bite into it, and if your tooth sunk into it, that meant it was real gold. And if it didn't, it didn't. It wasn't. It was fool's gold. Sometimes they would take that stone that they thought was gold and put it, streak it across a ceramic stone, and if it was yellow streak, then they knew it was real. If it was greenish black, it was fool's gold. And it's important. They had everything depended upon their work to test the authenticity of their finds. Their fortune, their future, depended on the results of those tests. And as Christ followers, we find ourselves in a similar situation as gold miners in the mid-1800s. When we're confronted with serious doctrines and religious teachings, all of which claim to be true, believers must be able to tell those that are biblically sound from those who are not. So some resources. There's 
some great things out there. I encourage you to read. Here's a, something at the high school level that I used to teach when I used when I was youth pastor. So what's the difference by Franz Ridnour? That's a great little book. Some of you have heard the probably the most famous book, The Kingdom of the Cults by Walter Martin. That's a really good resource if you want something deeper. And then Moody Press puts out this thing, Spirit of Truth, the Spirit of Air. It unfolds and compares scripture to Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness and other things like that. So there's resources out there for us to be able to separate truth from error. Well, in this passage we're about to look at, John moves from the abiding work of Christ to the work of the Holy Spirit in helping Christ followers be a discerner of true teachings based on the apostles' teachings. And for us today, in this time, the God's word that we have with us, how we can use it to separate truth from error. So first of all, test the teaching to see if it is false. We're going to look at verses 1, 3, and 5 as they talk about the falsehoods, how to spot them. Verses 2, 4, and 6, the even verses are going to talk about the truth. So test the teachings to see if it is false. In verse 1, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. What to believe and what not to believe. What is the truth and what is real and what is falsehood and what is a constructed reality apart from God and his word? How we view the world is so important. Christianity versus secular humanism. There's lots of philosophies out there, but probably the predominant one in the American culture is secular humanism where man is the center, not God. And man does everything he can to build himself up. And we'll talk more about that in a few moments. And so it's a clash of two worldviews. We must begin by acknowledging that there is a spirit of truth and a spirit of error. And it's important for our life here on earth and our eternal destiny that we distinguish between the two spirits and find truth. Spirit in verse 1 and throughout this section here refers to a supernatural spiritual being who influences human teachers. John says, do not. It means stop believing, forbidding an action that is wrong. Be discerning Christ's followers. In Acts 17, 11, Paul commended, and Luke was the writer, but Paul and Luke commended the Bereans at their church because in 1711 of Acts, it says, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Even the famous apostle Paul, they took his teachings and they lined it up to the word of God to see if what all Paul said was true. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 through 22, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. You see, unbelievers... I remember my life before Christ. I didn't have spiritual discernment. Unbelievers do not have spiritual discernment because they're spiritually dead and they do not have the Holy Spirit until they come to that place of faith. In Ephesians 4.18, Paul said, for they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. The word test in verse one is a, metallurgist term, and it refers to the testing of metals to see if they're pure, genuine, authentic, or if they're a mixture of metals. They're testing for the purity of the metal and then ultimately its value. 
And as Christians, we are to continually examine what is seen and heard from anyone who claims spiritual authority as they teach the Word of God. So he points out false prophets. There's many false prophets he talks about in verse 1. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. We see a lot of counterfeits to Christianity. We see false religions. We see cults like Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness and New Age religions and all these other religions that are out there. They're speaking falsely on behalf of what they think is the true God. Deuteronomy 14 says this, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, Let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you lead Leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk, so you shall purge the evil from your mind, even from the beginnings of the, the Torah, the, New, the Old Testament. We see here this command to be uh, testing the prophets. He goes on in Deuteronomy 18, he says, But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of our gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? He says, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that it is a word that the Lord has not spoken, the prophet has spoken it presumptuously, you need not be afraid of him. Can you imagine being a prophet? And you want to make sure that the word you're giving to other people is from God? And if you slip up and one of the things you say isn't true, they take you out and stone you to death. We see second of all, false Christ. False Christ in 1 John 4, 3, and he says, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Remember that the only book in the Bible where the author uses the term Antichrist is here in 1 John and in this verse, he uses that word again. If the spiritual teacher is teaching some view of Christ that doesn't match up with Scripture, they're not from God and they're not speaking truths on God's behalf. Remember that half-truths are not truths. And we'll see in a few moments as we think about Satan. Satan loves to twist. He loves to omit parts of Scripture. He loves to distort Scripture to fit his agenda. And so do false teachers as well. They're not teaching the inspired truths from God's word. And so he says here, John does, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which has occurred from the beginning of the church age and will continue as it teaches in Revelation when a physical human being will come on earth after I believe the, the Christians are taken out of this world, the Antichrist will appear and people will know him and he will live during the tribulation and then the first three and a half years, sign a treaty with Israel and then 
you know, go back on that treaty in the second half, another three and a half years, called the Great Tribulation. And he will counterfeit the works of Christ to deceive most of the world at that time. This spirit, the Apostle John is saying, is at work in the world right now. One modern day example is a defrocked Franciscan priest because he believes that Jesus is human and Christ is the divine and they're separated and that the Christ, the divine Christ, can be found in Buddhism, in Hinduism, in Shintoism, and the list goes on and on. So Richard War is basically saying all roads lead to God. God has many different names. He's a universalist. He believes everybody will get to heaven. And Oprah Winfrey and Rob Bell and others love his positions in his famous book, The Universal Christ. No one goes to hell. Remember that Satan has ministers in pulpits and in spiritual places imitating the truths of Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians 11 on the screen. For such men are false prophets, deceitful workmen disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of life, light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Here's an interesting contrast to think about that Jesus came physically to earth, revealed himself as God, and then when he left, he gave us the Holy Spirit. The Antichrist is an invisible spirit here on earth now, but according to the book of Revelation, he will become a physical person. He will embody all that Satan brings as false truths and counterfeits to the word of God. And then we see in verse 5, the false reality and values of 1 John 4, 5. The false reality and values. It says, John says, they are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. These heretics, these false teachers are fully influenced by the world's philosophies. They speak and teach of those world philosophies. And the unregenerate world listens and follows those teachings. Those false teachers cling to worldly ideas and try to prove them and justify them. The great news is that the true followers of Christ have overcome the world and its philosophies. And some of the views we see in our current culture, they're discussed in the mainstream. One is Christianity is merely a construct set up by European men to control women and people and espouse their morality on the people they influence and or govern over. Another one we see, false teaching, is gender dysphoria and all that it entails in its opposite view of what God teaches about physical gender through biology and chromosomes, which are objective facts of science. Secular humanism, which I spoke about earlier, they don't believe there's a God or they're a deist. They believe that God created the world and he's impersonal and he set it up and leaving it to run for themselves. We don't know if there's a God or not. There's no afterlife. There's no miracles. Science can explain miracles. And science trumps religion in the material world. And the betterment of man for his own selfish desires is supreme. That's what reigns in our culture so much. We think of relative truth instead of absolute truth. 
Relative truth is what each person makes it out to be. The famous scientist Voltaire struggled with the contemporary Christian man, Blaise Pascal. Blaise Pascal was a mathematician. He developed the theory of probability. He was a genius. He also was a physicist, and he was a Christian apologist. Pascal also described our moral conditions as human beings. He said, we hate truth and those who tell it to us, and we like them to be deceived in our favor. He knew about the sinful nature of man. And apart from God, Pascal observed people distract themselves from the reality of death. But at some point, those diversions run out, and then mankind, as Pascal says, feeling, feels his nothingness, his forlornness, his insufficiency, his dependence, his weakness, his emptiness. There will immediately arise from the depth of his heart weariness, gloom, sadness, fretfulness, vexation, and despair. Pascal said, between us and heaven or hell, there is only life, which is the frailest thing in the world. So remember, Voltaire, who was this intellect, who was a devout atheist, Voltaire throughout his life and even in his last year launched Sally after Sally. He attacked Blaise Pascal, who frightened him every time he, Voltaire, a hypochondriac, felt ill. He was scared of dying. Best known as Pascal's famous wager, that facing uncertainty in a game with such high stakes, he said it makes far more sense for fallen human beings to believe in God's existence than doubt it. If you gain, he wrote, you gain all. If you lose, you lose nothing. Wager them without hesitation that God is. The wager made Voltaire, the consummate atheist, very uncomfortable. There are many false philosophies in this world, and we have to be discerning. Every morning, having our guard up and our spiritual antennas tuned in to all we will hear and see in the day ahead that we face. So here's our application God's word and the Holy Spirit that is our teacher is the filter through which all teaching must go. We have to be ready each morning as we wake up, as we turn on the TV, we turn on the radio, we read whatever is on our phone. We have to have that filter of God and the Holy Spirit to take those teachings through to compare to. Now let's look at some ways to discern what is true. John flips the page, and, he, and he's, um, even verses here, talks about test the teachings to see if it is true. Test the teachings to see if it is true. The Holy, Holy Spirit reveals to us that Jesus Christ is equal to God. He's going to talk about the Holy Spirit through these verses. In 1 John 4, 2, but by this you know that the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. One criterion try to discern if a teacher is sharing the truths of Scripture is this. This is probably the number one thing. Who does the teacher think that Jesus Christ is? That's probably the first question to ask somebody who is teaching the Word of God. What is your view of Christ? What do you believe about Him? Do they believe that Jesus is eternal, equal with God, virgin born without sin, our substitute on the cross for my sin and mankind's sin, that he bodily rose from the dead, that he's seated at the right hand of the Father as our high priest interceding for us, that he will return as king physically to set up his rule and reign on earth, 
Christology is so very important when it comes down to what a teacher believes and what he teaches. Another criteria is to consider how does the teacher view the gospel as recorded in Scripture? And what about the other key orthodox doctrines that have stood through the course of church history? Also, does the teacher manifest fruits of righteousness that are consistent with the Word of God? Is the person committed to and believe that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God? Those who fail to meet these criterions are false teachers. That's why Mormonism, for example, they believe that Jesus didn't exist until he was born and he became God. Same with the Jehovah's Witnesses. They do not believe that Jesus is eternal. So that's why we separate from them. We see also the Holy Spirit gives us truth that is greater than Satan's world system. We like this verse. We quote it often in our lives. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. In ESV it says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He says, little children, take comfort. You have been following the true teachings of the apostles and of God. You've overcome the false teacher by the empowering of the Holy Spirit within you. And he is leading you in the truth. Be confident of that. And remember that at Jesus' incarnation, when he became flesh, Jesus took on a human nature. In Philippians 2, Paul said, But Christ emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. At your salvation, you took on the divine nature given to us by God. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake, God made Christ to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. He traded our sin and gave us his righteousness and salvation. And last week we looked at the end of 1 John 3 that God has given us his seed. That is the divine nature that lives within all believers. A Christ follower is a a lover of the truth, has insight into the truth, and is called to be a discerner of the truth. The end of verse 4 teaches that the one in you, the Holy Spirit, is greater than Satan, who's in control of this world system and philosophies that have and are deceiving so many people. The good news is Satan cannot possess a believer. I believe that Satan can oppress. We see Job being oppressed by Satan, but Satan cannot possess. Because in John 10, Jesus said, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. If Satan were able to possess a Christian, he'd be able to go into the Father's hand and take our soul out. But Jesus said that's impossible. The Holy Spirit teaches us to listen for the truth and to reject false teaching. In verse 6, 1 John 4, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us, and whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Notice he says we, talking about the apostles and the New Testament writers 
who are led by God, those who listen to us, know God, and speak the same things. You and I, we sense the truth in our heart and spirit. Those from the world do not listen to the orthodox teaching and do not want to hear the truth of God preached until they're ready to receive Christ as Savior. But up to that point, they refuse to accept the gospel or live by it. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, Paul said, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. See the contrast there. So God's word and the Holy Spirit are the foundational truth that all teaching must be compared. We look at all teaching. And so as we watch things on YouTube, we hear podcasts, we read articles through the lens of the Holy Spirit and God's word. And our last point this morning is this. Test the teaching you see and hear through the lens of biblical interpretation. So important. Here's four things that you can think about. The test of the fruit of behavior. The test of the fruit of behavior. How can we discern if someone is teaching false things? First one is the test of the fruit of behavior. Jesus said in Matthew 7, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits, by their behavior by what they, how they carry themselves. We see this as a big deal in the book of 1 John. A true sign of a Christ follower is are they living a holy and righteous life for God or not? Are they loving their, the brothers and sisters in Christ and meeting their needs? As we looked at in chapter 3 of 1 John, are they obedient to the commands of God as he talked about in the first chapter? The test of the fruit of behavior. Second of all, The test of sound doctrine. The test of sound doctrine. As I said earlier, what do they believe about Jesus? Who is he? John is starting with the incarnation of Christ as you read verses one through three of chapter four. This, these are the, there are other important doctrines, but in those verses, he is dealing with here having a high view of Christ as the scriptures point out as an essential starting point to have sound doctrine. What do you believe about the Bible? Is it inspired? That means God breathed. Is it, is it your uh, final standard of authority and what you base your life's choices and values upon? Either it is or it isn't. So here's some foundational beliefs for a person to become a Christian. These are the things essential that you have to believe. And you've heard of the fundamentals of the faith. These are, these are the five that a group of Presbyterians came up with in the early 20th century to combat liberalism in the denomination. First of all, biblical inerrancy. That the Bible is the inerrant, without error, infallible word of God in its original manuscripts. And then it goes on to say that it's verbally and plenarily inspired, meaning the phrases down to the words 
are inspired. Jesus said even the punctuation, he said in Matthew 5.18, for truly I say to you until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, talking about Hebrew punctuation, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. We believe that the word of God that we possess is from him and we follow it. Divine nature of Christ. We've already talked about that. Jesus is eternal. He's equal with God. He became flesh. He's 100% God, 100% man. We believe in the incarnation. To be a believer in Christ, you have to believe in the virgin birth of Christ. Miraculous conception into Mary's womb by the Holy Spirit. He didn't have a sinful nature, but was perfect because Jesus didn't come from a human father. And through the human father, through Adam, the sinful nature is passed. Believing in the bodily, physical resurrection of Christ. Not a spiritual resurrection, but Jesus had a glorified body when he came out of that tomb. And by the way, he came out before they rolled the stone away, okay? He didn't need the stone to be rolled away. He went out. The bodily resurrection of Christ. And then Jesus will return in the future to planet Earth. He will rule and reign, first in his 1,000-year millennial kingdom. And interestingly, in 1 Corinthians 15, 24, it says that after his millennial reign and the great white throne judgment, as the new heavens and new earth are being prepared, in 1 Corinthians 15, it says that Jesus turns his authority back over to the Father to rule and reign in the new heaven and the new earth. And salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, apart from works. You and I, there isn't enough time in our lives, there's enough good that we could do to ever earn salvation. But it's faith alone, grace alone, based on Christ alone, found in the scripture alone, that brings us the ability to be saved. And then we see, thirdly, the test of submission to Scripture. Are you going to line your life up with Scripture? In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul said, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. And if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. He's not a true prophet. The apostles believed that they were teaching what was inspired by God at and then they wrote them down, and sooner or later it became the canon of scriptures. Peter even acknowledges in one of his letters that the writings of Paul were scripture and sometimes hard to understand in 2 Peter 3, 15 through 16. So back to 1 John 4, 6. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. John speaks very simply and with clarity here in verse 6, and he pulls no punches. The Bible, as we said before, needs to be the standard for filtering all spiritual truth through before believing it. And then the test of teaching the pure gospel of justification by faith through grace alone. That's a good one to ask. Where do people stand as they teach on salvation? And what do they believe? In Galatians 1, 8 through 9, Austin preached on this not too long ago. It says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed, cut off. 
separated from God for all of eternity. So the essentials of the gospel are important. That man is a sinner by nature, born with a propensity to sin because of that sinful nature that they have within them. That we cannot do enough good works of righteousness to be given permission to enter heaven. That we acknowledge our sin against the holy God and it separates us in our relationship with him. We tell God that we are ready to turn away from our sin. We call that repentance and accept the finished work of Christ on the cross as payment for our sin and to ask God to forgive us of our sin. The gospel includes that eternal life is a gift of grace that we must receive in our hearts, which is our seat of emotions, where our will is. That we believe that Jesus rose from the grave to overcome death and sin to guarantee us eternal life. And if we put our trust in him alone for salvation, any additions or subtractions from this gospel is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel, and that's something to make sure that you talk to someone who you're doubting what they're teaching, what is your view of the gospel. So the application, the best antidote for false teaching is to be in God's word daily and be committed to going to a church that faithfully preaches the whole counsel of God. That is important. That's why we gather. Monday through Saturday, we're out. Many times we're out into the world and we're hearing all kinds of things and we're filtering through. But Sunday, we come to a safe place where we gather together with people with like value and trust in the word of God to build ourselves up, to energize us, to prepare our minds for the week ahead. So our key thought, we must keep our guard up, our critical thinking caps on, and our spiritual antenna of discernment tuned in to determine whether every teaching we hear or read is from God or not. We have to keep our guard up, our critical thinking caps on, and our spiritual antennas of discernment tuned in. So important And that's how we need to begin our days, by getting into God's word to pray and to make sure we're connected. You know, California gold prospectors, as I said, they would cry, Eureka, I have found it. They only did that when they found true gold. And when it comes to spiritual things, Christ followers should be careful to do the same. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the teachings of the Apostle John as he was battling false teaching in his culture and even within his church at times. We thank you for these things that he's laid out so we can have clear discernment of what is the spirit of truth and what is the spirit of error. Lord, I confess in my own life there's times that I allow some of these worldly philosophies to creep in to allow them to uh, erode some of the spiritual truths that I've heard and held on to. Lord, help us all to be aware of when uh, we are allowing the slow creep of the world's philosophies come into our lives. It's so easy when our children may stray away and we want to cave in. And there's many things that Satan brings our way to cause us to want to be distracted and distort the truth of your word. And so, Lord, help us to be found faithful, to stand strong in our convictions, but to show grace to those who don't understand the truth and to pray for them so that they too 
could have the Holy Spirit, the seed of God within them, that they could be discerners of truth and error as well. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.